0: everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes and I'm joined by Terry Fakes to continue talking about books that have been influential for us. And before we get into the books themselves this week, I want to talk about a topic that's been really influential for us as we're going through this series of about 16 books. There's people that have been really influential, ideas, certain books. Mm -hmm. This is just a topic that was really important to both of us. We wanted to talk about it on the podcast. It's the topic of biblical theology. Now, if if you're not familiar with biblical theology, it sounds like a total redundancy. What you know, right. biblical theology. Did you really need to say that? I mean, where else are we getting theology from? Well, having mm-hmm. gone to seminary, you don't want to know where they're getting all the rest of these theologies from. There are a million <laughs> different theologies, and so uh-huh. one thing we need to do, just by mentioning it, is it sounds so obvious, but maybe we just start by saying, "What is biblical theology?" And why do you have to add
1: an adjective to theology? You know, maybe the best way to say that for me, and then I'll let you uh, fill in with a pure definition, but a contrast is helpful to me. So when I became a Christian, first thing, of course, you read is the Bible. And then once you've read the Bible and you you decide, OK, I'd like to get some some uh, bigger picture here. What, what does the Bible as a whole say about some things? And usually, if you ask somebody, what should I read next? They'll say a systematic theology. And basically, uh, and, so, and there are many good ones out there. And so I first thing I did, I pick up a systematic theology. They're usually big, thick tomes. And what they basically do is take the major doctrines of the Bible. So you'll get a doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of God. In other words, what is the Bible overall? How does it paint a picture of God? How does it paint a picture of Christ? What kind of a picture of humanity? Like, are we born good? Are we born bad? You know, in other words, it's got a a doctrine. And so it takes them by doctrine and then goes to the text and pulls out the biblical idea about that doctrine. Well, after that, I came across uh, some writers of biblical theology. And I thought, well, what is that? And I got into it and I realized, oh, this is a different way of approaching what the Bible has to say. Instead of breaking it up in doctrines, it looks at the biblical themes that run all through the Bible. Neither one of these are are good or bad. They're both useful. But biblical theology focuses more on the recurring themes and ideas that run through the whole Bible. So that's my layman's definition of of uh, the ways to think about those two kinds of theology, both useful but very different in their approach,
0: right, and mutually informing. The biblical yep. theology approach is to take a theme from Scripture, a storyline, mm-hmm. and see how it goes throughout Scripture. So one one uh, example of this that you'll see in the books we're going to talk about today. So a lot of times, what you do is you take the theme where it first appears in Scripture. And you trace it through a certain author of the Bible or a certain section or even through the whole Bible, almost in chronological order, in the order of revelation, Mm -hmm. let's say. So if you pick up on a theme of, you know, the kingdom of God, you'd want to go find where you think that idea begins in the Old Testament. Trace Mm -hmm. it all the way through to the very end of the Bible or, for example, in the sermon series I just did, we were talking about these fig leaves. Well, that's Mm -hmm. a mini, a minute, miniature theme in the book of Genesis. It's not the main theme in the book of Genesis, but it ties into the main theme. It's like a, you know, it's, it's not an interstate or a state highway, but it's a a very busy city street. And what you want to do is you want to figure out where that begins. That's clearly in Genesis chapter three, where it's mentioned And then you want to see how that theme of covering plays out all the way through the rest of Genesis. You could take that and and go into the New Testament if you wanted to. But usually the way it's done is you follow this through a book or through an author. Whereas, like you said, systematic theology, you're really trying to gather everything the Bible says about a topic. And and usually that's the starting place. Usually systematic theology, you're really trying to systematize, flesh out, define Mm -hmm. a doctrine. And of course, exegesis of biblical text plays a role in that. It's not the Mm -hmm. only thing going on there. You actually kind of want a coherent philosophical system of how all these doctrines fit together. Mm -hmm. So these are both good and both very important. Biblical theology is more important for the way that we learn to be Bible readers, especially if you're young in your faith. Systematic theology can be very helpful for that too, but Until you start to grasp the major themes of scripture, your Bible reading is going to feel really disjointed. What does Genesis have to do with Psalms, have to do with Hebrews, have to do with Revelation? Biblical theology is the connector. It's the set of city streets and highways and interstates that make up the Bible. Or you might think of it as like the central nervous system of the Bible. So what I want to talk about today a little bit is why does this matter and how can we get better at learning about biblical theology? So if Mm -hmm. our goal is to say, we're not just reading isolated texts, we're learning how these texts connect with a larger framework and uh, theme structure of scripture, uh, that's going to make us better Bible readers. And so there's two books that have really been influential for me. And I know they've been influential for you as well. Mm-hmm. And these are just examples. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that these are the first books, if you've never thought about biblical theology before, I didn't pick them like this is the best intro. They just are the most interesting to me of this genre of book. And so the first one is, is by Michael Morales and it's called Exodus Old and New, a biblical theology of redemption, the theme of redemption that runs through the whole Bible. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more in depth here in a second about that book. Hmm. And the second one, this is a little bit more technical, but it's also in a great series of biblical theology. And one of my favorites; it re- is really influenced the way I see the read the Bible is G.K. Beale's "The Temple and the Church's Mission: A Biblical Theology of the Dwelling Place of God." So and maybe we start with Michael Morales's book, "Exodus:
1: Old and New." Uh, what's he trying to do in this book? He is uh, going to take that theme of the Exodus, and he is going to start with the event of the Exodus, and then he's going to continue to expand it. He basically uh, is going to end up in the place that he starts with the Garden of Eden, and you get the idea of an expulsion, uh, a go Exodus. The word Exodus means a going out, a leaving. And so you get the idea of Adam and Eve, unhappily and unwillingly, of course, leaving the Garden of Eden because of sin. And so you, and then you get the scattering of humanity uh, with the Tower of Babel. And so humanity itself has an exodus, a going out, a scattering, if you will. And so to short circuit it, he's basically going to say you have many little exodus stories through the Bible. The most famous, of course, would be the Israelites, and Moses leading them out, the exodus out of slavery in Egypt. But it goes further back. It goes all the way to the Garden of Eden. And he's going to say to that, that in order for for God's plan, if you look at the whole Bible, you begin with an exodus and you continue to have these going outs. And God's plan of redemption is basically bringing people back home. You know, an exodus leads like the exodus of the Israelites comes out of slavery, goes to the promised land. Well, to sew this whole thing up, God needs to bring all of the nations back, not just the Israelites. So what began in the Garden of Eden as an expulsion or an exodus is going to wind up in... uh, the old Exodus is going to have a new Exodus and the idea of Exodus being a great way of understanding what God is doing in scripture. That's a pretty surface level description of that. But what would you add to that, Cole? Yeah. In the, in the intro of the book, he
0: talks about the way that people have read the Exodus narrative in throughout history. And he, he says, suffice it to say then that if Dante were asked what has become a controversial question in academic circles, Namely, whether there is a center of biblical theology, as in, you know, is there a main biblical theological theme? He would answer, yes, the central theme of the story of the Bible and of history itself is the Exodus. He goes on. Put differently, if literary critic Northrop Frye, who has a great book on basically literary criticism and typology in the Bible, once remarked that the Exodus is the only thing that ever happens in the Bible, with Mm -hmm. the New Testament revolving around Christ's resurrection, the anti-type of the Exodus. So I I love the way he puts this. If you go back throughout all of history and you ask people what the central theme, the central biblical theological theme of the Bible is, many people would tell you that the Exodus is that central theme. You're going to see the Mm -hmm. Exodus motif all through the Bible. Like you said, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, pre-historical Exodus, to the Exodus out of Egypt, to the spiritual Exodus in the New Testament, you're going to see it everywhere. The exile is is kind of a reverse Exodus. So you can read the Bible through this lens and you can track this storyline through the Bible. One of the reasons this is important is because biblical theology introduces us to the way that God likes to work through history and through his people. Mm-hmm. For, for whatever reason, we can't necessarily know why this is if we go back trying to grasp the origin of this in the divine mind. But for some reason, God likes to deliver people out of Egypt-like places, sin-like mm-hmm. places. Um, you see this in the Psalms, for example. it, it It's not, you know, he rescued me uh, from the potentiality of being caught by the snare of the fowler. He rescued me from the snare of the fowler. Well, why not just right. rescue them before they get in the snare of the fowler? That would exactly. be great. That is not God's way. And everywhere in scripture, you realize exoduses always happen out of oppression and suffering. God's people cry out. He hears their cry. He sends a representative and that representative frees the people and they leave and go into a promised land that this theme happens over and over and over and over again in the Bible. And it teaches us something fundamental about who God is and what he likes to do. Now, That is a lens that we can then take and look at other things in the Bible. So you can see exoduses start to happen in the Bible. And what's cool is sometimes you'll see the makings of an exodus and you'll know what's going to happen because it follows the theme. And all of a sudden there's an exodus and that's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Sometimes the importance of biblical theology is you have a pattern that you expect to happen and then something different happens, which calls your attention to the fact that I should really pay attention to this because something slightly different is occurring. So the pattern has changed. So it alerts us to the storylines and the shapes of what's going on in Scripture in a way that once you learn this one theme, you can see it play out throughout the rest of Scripture.
1: That's really true. And the Exodus is core. And I give you a great example of how he expands this. The way I usually teach this, the way most people are familiar with the Exodus, is the kind of the core idea which is the Israelites basically found themselves enslaved in Egypt through their own doing. They were free to leave for a long time, but they didn't. They got comfortable. They stayed. And so they became slaves. And of course, God then sends Moses and he leads them out. And Exodus, out of slavery, go through the desert, you know, all that story. But they go into a promised land where they are free people serving God. And now you make the connection to the gospel. Here comes Jesus on a cosmic scale, leading humanity sold into sin and saying, come follow me, I will lead you to a promised land out of the slavery of sin. That's a core idea. Actually, that's kind of a big idea, but Morales wants to make it even bigger. So that's the core. Well, now that you know that, you think, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the Garden of Eden, you have free people, Adam and Eve. Communing with God, following God, face to face with God, quote sell themselves into sin. All right, and they sin, they're cast out, they they're in slavery, if you will, and all their descendants are going to be in slavery. But this time, not just to sin, to death. Mm-hmm. Death, as you've preached before, and I think you use this phrase because it stuck with me because I like it. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, death is the door that all humans will now have to go through. Mm. wasn't intended that way, but now they all have to go through. Now, fast forward to Revelation. We've got a bigger picture now. Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, is going to defeat death. And so now we've been brought not just from the slavery of sin, which leads to death, but death itself is destroyed. And we've been led into an exodus. So they're almost like layers of an onion. You see this exodus story, this exodus motif playing out in More ways than you would think. And Morales does a great job of opening our eyes a little bit to seeing that what God's doing is even cooler than we thought. And there's Mm -hmm. even more of this theme running through the scripture than you thought. That's a great way to put it. To
0: connect Jesus with this theme, one of the passages I always like to cite is the transfiguration. So Jesus, when he is up on the mountain of transfiguration and Moses (laughs) and Elijah up here, says in Luke... That they were discussing his upcoming exodus, which is literally yes. just a Greek word that means. And, and a lot of times in English Bibles, it's translated as his departure, which is what it means. Right. But it's just so obvious in the Greek when they when they use that word that we take the word exodus from. Oh, he's he's discussing his upcoming exodus, our upcoming exodus. It's a connection. You know, so it's interesting to think about Jesus talking with Moses about his upcoming exodus, even though Moses was the one who led the people out in the physical historical exodus. And it's a great connection there that we should be alerted and say, okay, think about the features of that historical exodus that happened, all the ones that you just named. Can you find a similarity in what Jesus did? And it it enhances the way that we understand what Jesus did by reading it that way. it's Another way to do it is in this uh, quote from Morales, he refers to a type and an anti-type. Sometimes people, when they talk about this, they mean the the prefiguring event and then the event that fulfills it later in the future. And usually with a type and an anti-type, you have the type, which is something like the Exodus out of Egypt, and then the antitype is like the true and greater version of that event, often on a spiritual level. So, th- mm-hmm. so this one is physical and spiritual. The true and greater Exodus of God's people from the domain of death into the realm of life is a greater and more full Exodus than just an Exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery to Egyptians and then into the promised land. So you have this type anti-type, but I, I, some, and some people think that you only have a type and an anti-type. I'm, I'm not of that persuasion at all. I think that these types actually, Mm -hmm. they, they come up all over scripture, sometimes partially, sometimes fully, certainly in its full expression in Jesus's work of freeing his people. But in a lot of different ways, you get these types and anti-types. And then different versions on the type playing out in the Bible. And, and that's right. the use of biblical theology. So a book like Morales' is going to point to a bunch of these themes in places you
1: may never have even seen them before. Exactly. And, you know, there it's possible to see themes where there aren't themes. For example, I, I remember one time in an English literature class, I was our professor, we were analyzing a, a piece of literature by a living author and uh, we got in the class and they said okay you've got this metaphor or this theme and it runs through the book and gave us this total interpretation of the book well by the end of the semester though the professor came back in and kind of sheepishly said you know it's interesting i talked to the author of this book uh, because she was alive and uh, just kind of shared with her my my story about the theme of the book and the author said you know that is brilliant but it didn't have anything to do with what I was trying to do in the book. And so you can read things into it. But with the Bible and good biblical theology, when you see all this evidence, for example, about the Exodus motif and over and over and over, and you realize God is intentionally using this to help us understand increasingly bigger ideas that are frankly beyond our finite capabilities, but we can at least understand the metaphor the idea mm-hmm. of an exodus. And we saw it in person with the Israelites. And now we can imagine it in a heavenly realm and in a cosmic mm-hmm. realm. And I, I just think if if you were going to educate children, for example, because compared to God, that's kind of where we are, this would be a great way to educate children is show them concepts they can understand, and then use the same concept to explain bigger things. And God is very wise in doing that. And the Exodus motif is one of the key biblical ideas. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And you can take this and look at a bunch of different biblical themes and see this. So, but most people are probably familiar with, there's a real famous Tim Keller clip where he say, he says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who, Mm -hmm. you know, left his, left the presence of God um and was forsaken so that he could bring his people back into paradise and jesus is the true and better joseph and true and better Mm -hmm. rahab and he goes through all these things that's biblical theology in a nutshell right is he's connecting these themes throughout scripture to their fulfillment in jesus christ so Morales is is really great and we've just scratched the surface of his book obviously we don't we can't go through the whole thing but I would encourage people if if this talk about the Exodus is interesting he will go into great detail to right. showing you this theme. Greg Beale's book is a, a more scholarly version of this same thing and right. the theme is a little bit more complicated but it is really a paradigm changer when you read it. His his book is called The Temple and the Church's Mission. A Biblical Theology of the Dwelling Place of God. What Beale is doing in his book is he is looking at sacred space, essentially, and he is looking at the shape of the universe and the sacred spaces, and he's helping us to see that all through the Bible, God's presence fills spaces in a certain way. So in the early part of the book, he says, my thesis is the Old Testament tabernacle, and temple were symbolically designed to point to the cosmic eschatological reality that God's tabernacling presence, formerly limited to the Holy of Holies, was to be extended throughout the whole earth. So just by listening to that quote, you can tell that there's a little bit more scholarly treatment Mm -hmm. of this topic, but let me go back and, and flesh a bit of this out. His thesis is that as you go from the Old Testament through the New Testament, so if you go in chronological order of the Bible, what you see is, the Garden of Eden, and then later the traveling tabernacle that they set up in the wilderness during uh, Moses's time. Mm-hmm. The tabernacle that they park in Jerusalem during David's time, the temple right. that Solomon builds. And then in the New Testament, the new temple, Jesus teaching about the body being the temple. And then when he says the eschatological reality, he means the final vision of the temple in the book of revelation, the end times vision of sacred space is where we are in the presence of God forever. And you'll remember that from our revelation series in the, in the series that you taught on Wednesday nights, in the end, you you actually don't have a, uh, you don't have a restriction of where God is anymore because he is present with his people everywhere. And so all that to say Beale's contention is these preceding tabernacle, temple spaces are supposed to point us to the theme of God's expanding presence throughout the whole earth in the Bible. Now, once you put it that way, you can start to think about how this might inform the way you read scripture. The easiest way to see this is in the book of Genesis. So one of the things that Beal is doing is he is he is showing us a map of the way that God uh, is present. And I would figure this would be right up your alley because this is a spatial spiritual map that you can apply throughout the entire old Testament. So you have the whole world, which is the general space. Then you have Eden, which is a special space. And then you have a garden in Eden, which is a holy space. And in the beginning, God takes his creation and puts them in the Garden of Eden, which is in his direct presence. He is walking with them. He is face to face with them. They are Mm -hmm. in perfect communion with each other. Well, once they sin, they're expelled from the presence of God. They are pushed out to the east and they can't come back in the Garden of Eden. They're in Eden, but they're not in the Garden of Eden. This is something that is really helpful to have somebody walk you through, because when you just read the first chapters of Genesis, it's not... Sometimes we don't pick up exactly on what's happening. Mm-hmm. Then when Cain slays Abel, he's expelled even further east of Eden. So now you've gone from the right. Garden of Eden out into Eden, out into the outer world, further from the presence of God. So that's not just a throwaway line when it says that Cain is expelled to east of Eden away from the presence of God. No, he the presence of God is in the Garden of Eden where his parents were then when they sinned they were pushed outside of the presence of God but you know that flaming cherubim is right. still standing there they know where it is and then Cain is pushed out even further away from the presence of God so you have people leaving the direct presence of God and then for the rest of the bible you have God orchestrating sacred space in the exact same way so in the temple, for example, you have mm-hmm. the world, and then you have the outer court of the Gentiles. So the, the temple is a microcosm of the entire world. The outer court of the Gentiles, anybody could go in there. Then you go in, and you have to wash. You have to be a Jew. Further in, you have to be a priest. And then you have the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest can go in there once a year, because that is like the Garden of Eden. It is the place where God's glory in his name dwell. And what Beal is saying is, okay, so you have this spiritual geography of the of the universe. God's plan from the very beginning, from the from the Garden of Eden, through the temple, all the way through Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ is that God had planned to start with his presence confined to the Garden of Eden or to the Holy of Holies, but then to expand out from there with his people to cover the whole earth. So in Jesus, this happens because the veil is torn in two. God's presence is out and among his people. And Jesus says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul teaches that we all now are a dwelling place for God. The kingdom of God is in the midst of his people now. So everywhere we go, the presence of God is with us. We don't have to go to temples anymore. We don't have to go to the Holy of Holies anymore we are filled with the spirit of God like the Holy of Holies was like the garden of Eden was. And so now through us, God's presence is everywhere. Of course he is omnipresent um, in, in his, in his attributes. He he is omnipresent because he's God, but his presence dwelling in us means now there is no more limitation uh, in terms of buildings or space. And when we finally reach heaven his presence will be like it was in the Holy of Holies everywhere. All of heaven right. will be filled and the new heavens and the new earth will be filled with the presence of God. And so Beale is helping us to see the Bible in light of this theme. So again, it's it's a little bit more technical, but once you start to think about it, you'll start to see it everywhere in Scripture.
1: No, that's really good. That's a profound idea, the presence of God coming from Openness in the Garden of Eden, a very small place in the Holy of Holies. In our era, a larger space, the kingdom of God within Christians, and then ultimately filling the whole universe in the book of Revelation. So this idea of the presence of God is it's worth we're going to move on because I want to move on to the next layer that he talks about. But that is a powerful idea that for itself is worth meditating on for a few years. You will see that through. Your life, you'll see it through the scriptures, everything. He goes a little bit further. He looks at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. So I'm going to read chapter 21, 1 through 3. So we're not at the end of things. And listen to the three key ideas. And this is what I think tips him off to say, wait a minute. It is the presence of God, but there's actually a template happening here. So here's what Revelation 21 says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. All right, that's key concept one. We think, oh, new heaven and new earth, uh, old earth's all gone. This is the new creation. This is eternity, if you will. I'm just saying we tend to think of it as eternity. So I saw the new heaven and the new earth. And in verse two, and I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven with God prepared as a bride. And he's going to talk about the new Jerusalem is where God lives. We live. God is our light. And you think, oh, heaven, eternity, this presence with God. Verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with man. He will tabernacle or dwell with them. So you look at that and you think, wait a minute. We've got the idea of the tabernacle, which goes all the way back to the tent in Moses. And now all of a sudden we've got this new Jerusalem where we're going to dwell. We've got, in fact, the whole new heavens and the new earth. And he realizes that those three things are essentially the same thing. And so near the end of the book, he'll say this. uh, And this is a little cryptic, but we'll decode it. Eschatology, these things at the end, heaven, eternity, not only recapitulates the protology of Eden, but escalates it. What's he saying? He said the Garden of Eden, what you just described, and what's outside the garden and so forth but the garden of eden where god's presence filled everything all of humanity completely in the presence of god that is coming back but it was actually a road map of everything that was going to happen in mm-hmm. other words if you look at the garden of eden you understand the new heavens and the new earth it's not just the presence of god although that's powerful But he also, I hate to use it as like a secret code or something, but there's a a map, if you will, that he's been using over and over and over, whether it's the Garden of Eden, the Tabernacle Tent, the Temple, the Church, and finally the New Heavens and the New Earth. And that there's a mapping, if you will, of those ideas. And I just Mm -hmm. think that's an interesting idea that I hadn't really fully thought through until I read this book. Well, let's throw another layer in there that I know you you know, but uh
0: again, this is like the Exodus reference in at the uh, transfiguration. It's a little bit harder to see unless you're reading it in the Greek. The Gospel of John is really interested in this tabernacling presence. Of course, what you just read from Revelation, it makes sense because John is writing right. in Revelation and in John, but if you have the prologue of the Gospel of John, you think about in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and then you get all the way down to and the word became flesh and tabernacled, tabernacled among amongst us. us. Yeah. Really interesting there to say, okay, so John is pointing our attention to this biblical theme from the very beginning. So his his opening in the Gospel of John echoes the opening of Genesis. He wants us to be thinking about what was happening at the beginning of Genesis. He's telling another look at the creation story. And then fast forward to Jesus, the incarnation, he became flesh and he tabernacled among us. This is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy or, and I love the way Beale puts this, it's just not the way we typically talk about it, the mm-hmm. protology of Genesis, right. which means The first things that set the pattern for everything else. The protology of Genesis has now been fulfilled that he isn't just dwelling with Adam and Eve in Eden anymore. He has come to earth to tabernacle with his people and he will tabernacle with his people forever in Revelation. Very
1: eye-opening, Bible-uniting theme that's going on here. Yeah, I love that idea, and this is just a tiny little branch off what you just said, is that we can't get back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, if you want to think about it, sin separated us, and there is this cherubim with the flaming sword. We can't get back. So if you want to think about what you just said in John, John said, and so the Holy of Holies, Eden, came to walk around amongst us. And that's the beauty. You'll see that all over, you know, that God came down to man. Jesus emptied himself and became human. But what is that really saying? That's saying in this biblical theology, it is that, well, Eden had to come find you. And the Holy right. of Holies had to have the curtain split so the Holy of Holies could come walking around amongst us. Just a powerful, beautiful idea of what who Jesus really is and what was really going on. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so one of the things I love about. Beale, I, I would say Beale is up there on my in my pantheon of influential writers and scholars. His area of expertise, although it's kind of funny to say that with Beale, because everything he does becomes an area of expertise. I, he just mm-hmm. released a new book about union with Christ, and I was—I think it was in the intro or the foreword of the book, and I, I can't remember who was writing it, but somebody said something like, "For any other author." this book would stand as their magnum opus. It's 400 pages long on a major theme. But mm-hmm. for Greg Beal, this is one of about seven books like this that he's <laughs> yeah. written. So he's he is voluminous. He can be tedious to read because he is mm-hmm. so good at getting into the details. He's so precise. Uh, But that's really the nature of biblical theology. And so his his area of expertise is tracing these themes, biblical theology, all the way through the Bible. He has written the technical commentary on Revelation for evangelicals. He has written a 1300 page New Testament theology. uh, But he's Mm -hmm. most known for the New Testament use of the Old Testament, which is exactly what we're talking about here. How does the New Testament... Develop the ideas. How does how do we trace God's action in the world from the beginning all the way up through Jesus Christ? And so, anytime you read Beale, you're going to get that. You're going to get the way that the New Testament writers were thinking about and seeing the connection with what happened before they were born in the Old Testament. Um, at the at the end of Beale's book, uh, the temple and the church's mission he brings a practical aspect to this because there's definitely an element to some of the biblical theology of like, well, that's really cool, but you know, what Uh does that have to do with anything? He says, how does the vision of the worldwide temple in revelation 21 and 22 relate to Christians and their role in fulfilling the mission of the church? We as God's people, have already begun to be God's end time temple where his presence is manifested to the world. And we are to extend the boundaries of the new garden temple until Christ returns, when finally they will be expanded worldwide. So actually the mission Mm -hmm. of the people of God can be encapsulated in this theme by saying evangelism, discipleship, sharing our faith, just walking around and doing what God calls us to do. Is part of the great expansion project of taking God's presence across the whole world. And like he says, we are actually, we have actually already begun to be God's end time temple because the Spirit is dwelling within us, like the presence of God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. And mm-hmm. uh, his presence is being manifested to the world through us. And as we do that, we are expanding his presence across the face of the earth until one day it really is a worldwide presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And Beal will argue that the church is taking up the mission through Jesus Christ. The church is taking mm-hmm. up the mission that Adam and Eve were actually supposed to be doing in the beginning. The garden of Eden was not supposed to be just the garden of Eden forever. It was supposed to expand right. to cover Eden exactly. and then the rest of the earth. And so now the church mm-hmm. is actually fulfilling that mission that God had given to Adam and Eve. We call it the cultural mandate. To work the garden and to keep it, to cultivate the earth through the spiritual reality and in the
1: future, the physical reality of the presence of God dwelling in us. That is a really great point. And it's a good way to make sense of something everybody says, but I think few people actually understand. And this is this is what it means. When you say we are living in the end times, and that is true, we are living in the scripture calls it, we're in the last days. We are in end times. We're not in an intermediate time where we have a tabernacle and we're wandering around in the desert, or even that we have a temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built and we're looking for the Messiah. We're actually in the last phase of this. And so we call that an inaugurated eschatology, meaning we have started the end times. And the way we usually say it is it's already, but not yet. So the end times, the, the whole big plan of God is already here, but it's not yet fulfilled. That phrase can actually be defined by what you just said. The church is uh, the temple of God. We are the place where God dwells, the tabernacle of God, and we are beginning to encompass all of the heavens and the earth, all of the earth. And that is a powerful thought on what is the church actually about. It's a big idea of the church. It gives you a sense of the importance of our mission. And I think that's a great way to describe that already, but not yet. What you just said is what that really means. The study of biblical theology is interesting to
0: reference what you just said because it's going to start connecting dots that you otherwise didn't think would be connected. Mm -hmm. For example, what we're doing as Christians and the temple. Most people, they just think about that like the temple was old, it's gone away, and now we've got this new thing, the kingdom of God. No, no, no. It's already and not yet. Something has been established and something is coming. The temple was established to show, as Beal argues, what it will look like when the glory of God does cover the earth, like the waters fill the seas. Uh, God's people were holy because of the sacrifice of these animals We are now holy because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So you're seeing these connections between otherwise relatively disparate things. Mm -hmm. That's why I say your Bible is really united when you start to read some good
1: biblical theology. Absolutely. And going back to the very beginning, to study biblical theology, you have to actually be in the process of reading the Bible. Uh, It's not a matter of just a story here and a story there, because we're picking out certain stories and connecting them. But you can't do that until you've actually read the Bible. So my my point there is, and I don't mean to be lecturing, but to say, it's, it's crazy to think you can study biblical theology and connect the dots if you haven't actually read all the dots. And so the more you're in the Word, the more biblical theology will be rich and meaningful to us. And so I would say biblical theology is a great add-on to your Bible, read-through-the-Bible uh, plan mm-hmm. that you have. Yeah.
0: So before we end, let me make a couple of recommendations on biblical theology. If if you're like, I'd love to know more about this, where's a good starting place. There's three series that I would recommend of biblical theology. And in each of these, you're going to get a book that has a particular theme and Mm -hmm. you'll read that theme throughout the whole scripture. So Crossway has a series called short studies in biblical theology. They're little, they, they're, mostly white books with a banner and an emblem on them. Uh, Greg Beal actually has a book in this series called Redemptive Reversals. It's kind of a funny topic, but it's a really great book. Uh, The Ironic Overturning of Human Wisdom. It's very short. Uh, It's a really interesting book. In fact, I read it uh, at the resort where we were on our honeymoon in an afternoon. Very short read, very enjoyable. So Beale has that book in that series. There's 12 other books I think that have been published in that series. That short studies in biblical theology. Then there's the one that Morales has written in is called Essential Studies in Biblical Theology, and I think this is put out by Intervarsity, uh, maybe. But Inter- Essential Studies in Biblical Theology has eight total books. They have they're all a color and they have kind of a pattern. Uh, across the front, and so there's Exodus in there. There's life and death in there. There's there's uh, creation in there, and uh, there's a lot of great stuff. They're slightly longer, and uh, they're a little bit more involved. But as you as you know from our discussion, they're they're very broad and uh, very good for reading. Then the third series is the most technical. Some of these are difficult to get through. But uh, the series is called New Studies in Biblical Theology. And that's what Beale's book, The Temple and the Church's Mission, these are very noticeable. They're kind of a silver gray color uh, with the title on the front. There are 60 some odd books in this series. And so there's a lot of these. They can be very particular and they can be very Mm -hmm. small themes. But I, I saw maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago, one of the newest books in this one is Uh, The Divine Life in the Letters of John. That's a pretty small topic, Mm -hmm. but it's really interesting and would be a great read. Um, Let's see, several months ago, I did a podcast with Sam Amadi about the Joseph story. And that book is in this series, uh, These New Studies in Biblical Theology. And it's a biblical theology of the Joseph story and how it plays out through all of scripture. And so if you want to learn more about that and you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to that one. That's in the same series the Beals' book is in. So really, you have three options to start out um, combined. You know, you've got almost every biblical theme you could think of. If you've got something that you're really interested in, uh, check one of these out. And I guarantee if you will read it with your Bible together, it will tie
1: your Bible together like never before. Absolutely. And I, I, I would suggest, and I think you alluded to this, that while systematic theology and other niche approaches to theology are very useful, that once you've read your Bible and you've gotten to some level of of just knowing a little bit about your Bible, I'd stick a toe in the water on biblical theology because it will do more to just connect the dots than, than anything else.
0: Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.